Mountain. Good to see everybody. Oh, they're telling me I got some kind of issue with my microphone cord. Hold on, let me check that real quick. Hold on. Is it? Oh, sorry. Oh, you don't see that? Oh, yeah, good. Now, look, just join me. Cheer for the team with the black bird mascot, okay? Just squint at the TV, pretend all the red is purple. You'll be fine. Um, sorry for all the non-football people. Just bear with us. Uh, it's good to be together. Um, this is a great series. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, we're, it's called Fake ID, and I want to begin by talking to you actually about my cousin. His name is Matt. I'm going to tell some Matt stories throughout the sermon tonight. Uh, amongst other, uh, yeah, that's a picture of him, okay? That's a picture of my cousin Matt. No, just kidding. Here's another one when he was like uh, doing some hair modeling. Check this one out. I just thought that was funny. Now, here's a real picture of my cousin Matt, and he actually does have the nickname Chewy. He's a big uh, kind of scary looking dude. And part of uh, what he does is he's worked in security and he's worked as a bouncer at this Irish pub down in Atlanta where I'm from uh, for like 16 years. And over the course of that time, he has confiscated over 1,200 fake IDs. Okay. Uh, and so he uh, now, they, you know, he's a big scary looking dude. He's actually a, 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 just a big teddy bear of a guy. Everybody loves Matt. Because Matt loves everybody, and really, one of the people in my life who, who just most displays uh, just grace and acceptance uh, and patience and kindness for all, all kinds of people. And so, uh, if you're ever down in the ATL, go to Ormsby's, have dinners, great food, and look for Matt. And if you need to check his ID, if you need to know which one he is, he has a huge tattoo that says McDade on his arm. And so, I think he mostly did that so he wouldn't forget how to spell it. But anyway, that's how you'll know... That's how you know you're talking to my cousin, Matt. And he's collected uh, fake IDs from 38 states, from nine countries. He's even confiscated two passports. People are trying to use somebody else's passports to get in. And I asked him, because there's kind of two basic kinds of fake ID. There's a, there's a real ID that belongs to another person that you're trying to use, or there's an actual like a fake you know, um, counterfeit ID. And he said it's roughly... Uh, 50-50 on kind of the kinds that he's uh, confiscated over the years and taken away from folks. So uh, we're going to talk about fake ID. It's been a great series so far. Uh, just Luke talked to us about Abram, also known as Abraham. And then he talked about Simon, who we also know as Peter. And then Ben talked last week about Mara, better known as Naomi. And I just hope that if you haven't been around these last few weeks, go back on the website, on the YouTube page, and um, just check out some of these messages. And I have kind of the daunting task uh, to me to talk about this guy named Saul, also known as Paul. He is, uh, you know, after Jesus, this guy maybe is, is the most towering figure in all of the history of Christianity and a really huge figure in world history. He is traditionally um, attributed with writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And he's kind of the star of the story of the second half of the book of Acts, which is the story of the birth and the spread of the church. Um, he, you know, you, we're showing some images from history, from art, and uh, historians argue about a lot of different details about Paul's life, but basically they seem to really agree on a couple things. He had a great beard and he had a receding hairline. And he's at, I think Paul is the patron saint of male pattern baldness. I, I made that up. So but it, there's tons of, uh, tons of stuff named after cities and hospitals and schools. Everybody here probably knows somebody named Saul, maybe, and definitely a handful of people named Paul or Paulo, Paolo or Pablo or 
Pauline or Paula that, you know, he's made this huge impact. He was born around the same time of Jesus. And he um, is from a city uh, called Tarsus in Asia Minor, which was uh, modern day Turkey. I think we have a map. And I just, I always wish uh, people had showed me more maps when I was learning this stuff growing up. So here's Tarsus over here. And here's, um, you know, Jerusalem and Galilee and everything where, like, right where Luke was telling us about the other day. And over here you see Rome. There's Greece. So it's kind of give you a sense. And Paul did all kinds of traveling and, and church planting and stuff all around this, this region. And uh, so, you know, he, he was born into overlapping worlds. He was born into a devout Jewish family. Okay, that's why I got the name Saul, Shaul. He was named after the first Israelite, the first Jewish king. Um, he was, uh, they were Pharisees. He became a Pharisee, which is like kind of the, the most rule-followingest group of, of Jewish guys out there in, during his day. Also, at the same time, he was born into this Hellenistic Greek world, right? The, um, the Greeks had sort of conquered the known world. Uh, that was the language and the culture. Paul, Paulos, was his Greek name. And uh, it was actually very common at that time for Jewish people to have both sort of a Jewish name and a Greek or Hellenistic name. And of course, there's the Roman Empire. Who they, they had sort of taken over from the Greeks, and they were running the show uh, and he was a Roman citizen by birth. Not, he, didn't, he didn't purchase it. He was born a Roman citizen, which turns out to be a pretty big deal in the story. And so uh, when we first meet Saul in the pages of the book of Acts, he's, he's a bad dude. Okay? He's a Pharisee. These guys are hardcore, just rule-keeping, religious guys. They're trying to do what's right, keeping the law of God down to the very you know, most minute detail. But it, and they've gotten into... Uh, some kind of tracking down and confronting anyone who they feel is like going against that, who's, who's blaspheming the name of God, who's disrespecting and threatening their religion and their way of life. So there's this new uh, movement based around this guy named Jesus. And all these Jewish people, Jesus was a Jew himself, and they're saying, he's the one, he's the Messiah, he's the one we've been waiting on, the king, the, the leader, the fulfillment of all this prophecy and all this stuff we've been reading and, and waiting for for generations and and these paul and these other guys are like oh how dare you you know how dare you say these things and uh they're tracking down and they're actually punishing and imprisoning and killing christians and paul is a ringleader in this movement and if we first meet him in acts chapter 7 at the event of the first recorded uh christian martyrdom the first christ follower to die for his faith to say you can kill me if you want to but this is, this is what I got to say about Jesus. It's a guy named Stephen. And at the stoning of Stephen, and I think we have uh, Rembrandt's uh, take on that right there. And they're killing this guy. And it says in, in uh, chapter 7, verse 58, it says, Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And a couple of verses later, it says, And Saul approved of their killing him. So here's Saul. He's sitting here. He's overseeing this stuff. And he's like, Good job, guys. Good, good job. We got rid of another one of these nut jobs who's, who's uh, defaming the name of our God, and we need to go get some more. And he said, you know, I heard there's some other ones of these Christians over in Damascus. Let's go. So Acts goes on, kind of camera shifts away, and there's some more stories being told about the great things that are happening, the ways that, that the faith in Jesus is spreading. And then it comes back in Acts chapter 9. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats, against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called it, 
the, the Christian movement in early days. He said, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I love his question. He says, who are you, Lord? So he's like, I don't know who this is, but I know they have some authority. I know this is the Lord. And he says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They had heard sound, but did not see anyone. He got up from the ground, and when his eyes opened, he was blind. He couldn't see. So his friends led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind, and he didn't eat or drink anything. And it's just a side note here. If you grew up in the church, you always got told that he got knocked off a horse or knocked off a donkey. It's not true. No horse, no donkey. Just Bible trivia for you. But he got knocked to the ground, struck blind. So they take him into Damascus. And, and meanwhile, Jesus talks to this guy named Ananias, who's a, who's a disciple, a Christ follower in Damascus. And he says, hey, I want you to go over to this house on Straight Street, and I want you to find this guy named Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias has heard of him. And he says, uh-uh. He's like, you, what are you trying to get me killed, Jesus? You know? And Jesus is like, look, just listen, do what I say. And he says, and this is uh, 915, he says, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. The Gentiles, remember that word. And their kings and to the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So, he said, so Ananias goes and he does this. He's, he steps up, he's brave. And Saul eventually gets his sight back. He starts hanging out with and learning from these disciples in Damascus. And soon enough, he has become one of these, the very kind of people that he's been devoting his life to tracking down and taking out. He's one of these crazy Jesus followers. He has this amazing conversion story, and it sets him on this rocket ride of faith. And so from there, he goes on, he connects up with Peter and the other apostles, the other leaders, and he starts telling everyone about Jesus and growing in his own leadership and influence. And so around this time, there's this growing argument within the church. Uh, this is sort of the first real internal struggle that the, the church had to face. And uh, most of the followers of Jesus uh, were first Jews. That's most of the first followers of Jesus came out of the Jewish faith, just like Jesus did. And so a lot of them were sort of saying, okay, now there's this thing called Christianity. Now there's this new thing happening with Jesus. So first, you have to become a Jew, and then you can become a Christian. You have to be circumcised. You have to observe these dietary laws. You have to do, live this certain way, and then you can kind of follow Jesus. And Paul becomes kind of the main voice that says, no, that's not, it is not a prerequisite that you become Jewish first. This thing that God is doing in Jesus it's bigger, okay? And he sees people coming in through different doorways, through different avenues. He already, it's already happening. And he sort of says, they're, they're not second class. They don't have to go through this other step. They can come straight to the, to the front row and be, be followers of Jesus. And he also, I think, has the vision to see the future. He's, this thing is for the whole world. So, Paul, so, they, so they're battling it out over this kind of equal status, this prerequisite Jewish kind of um, step and in Acts chapter 15, it all kind of comes to a head. There's this council that meets in Jerusalem, and P Paul goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with Peter. And they, they battle it out. They kind of argue it out, and Paul actually wins. He wins the case. He convinces, and he and others, that the leadership is convinced, and they become of one mind that, you know what? He's right. 
There, there need not be any hoops to jump through other than just putting your faith in Jesus and following him. And from that point on, it, this, this thing, this movement, it begins to spread like wildfire. And it, it spreads throughout all the world and is led in part by this dude named Saul, who now we begin to see is most often referred to as Paul. So the sort of Bible trivia number two here uh, that we, many of us were kind of wrongly taught a lot of us were just taught his name was Saul, he had his conversion, became a Christian, then his name was Paul. That's not true. He sort of always had both names before and after his conversion. In fact, even after his conversion, um, we see him being called Saul, even by Jesus himself. So it's, it's legit. It's still his name, and it's used in those Jewish contexts primarily. But the name Paul starts to take, take the front seat, starts to be predominant, and get the spotlight, but for the reasons that we're going to talk about today. And there's just so much more to talk about. I could talk about Paul uh, all day. I, the last two seminary classes I have taken were all about Paul. We looked at Paul and every different angle, from every different angle you can imagine. And I've tr- been translating, you know, with, with a group, some of his writings, and uh, th- there's so much more to learn. And I do just want to step aside and get on a little bit of a soapbox for just a second here and say, if you, please don't be one of those people who, who expects to get all the Bible learning that you need from a 35-minute sermon once a week. Uh, I, it, it is one of my preacher pet peeves, okay, when people are like, you know, that, 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 that church or whatever church is not giving me the, they're not deep enough for me in their preaching. They're not giving me the Bible that I need. Where, to me, that's the equivalent of saying, of eating at the McDonald's drive-thru and saying, I'm just not getting the nutrients that I need. You know, it's the equivalent of, of going to a, a class for 45 minutes once a week at a gym and then continuing to, you know, eat however you want and just being like, it's that gym, you know? It's just not, it's not getting me healthy. It's not, what I'm saying to y'all is this is why we talk about groups. This is why we offer classes because you have to go deeper. And often it is the people who complain the most about sermons who are the least willing to invest a little time and energy to group up and circle up with some other people. So again, groups, Milligan at Mountain classes, uh, we, I think we're putting the website, just go online. We have men's, women's, couples, young adults, special needs, Spanish speaking. We got all kinds of groups, mid-size, small groups. They're not scary. Just give it a try. Go deeper if you're at all interested in learning more about these amazing stories. Uh, I hope this is the year that many of you do that, many of us. So there's a whole bunch we could say about Saul and Paul today, but with the time that remains, I just want to say a few things that I think, with, with regard to this fake ID topic that we're looking at, we're talking about identity, things that he might say to us and, and has said to us through his writings. So the first one is this, fake ID focuses on who I was, on the past, but your real ID is about who you are becoming. It's about the trajectory that you're on. My, I talked to my cousin Matt, uh, and he, you know, he says sometimes people, he'll confiscate their fake ID and they'll like ask for it back. And he's like, no, you can't have it back. Uh, and so he said one time, actually this guy, I asked him for the, the most impressive one he's ever seen. And he said, there was this one that was so good, he, he could just tell something was off, and he went to get someone else to look at it with him, and the people left. That's when he knew it was a fake. 
And he said the guy actually came back later, like another day or, or later that night, and asked for it back. He was like, man, I paid $200 for that thing. Can I please have it back? And he said, no, you can't have it back. I mean, that's a dumb question to ask, right? But then I was like, you know what? I do the same thing. I do that same thing in my life in different ways. When, I, when I'm moving forward in my life and in my faith, sometimes I just go crawling back to the, to the fake IDs that I've used in the past. Sometimes it's, it's uh, and we do this in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's just by beating myself up and refusing to forgive myself for past mistakes. This week, um, it cracks me up. People always know when I'm preaching because I put questions on Facebook. They're like, get my brain going. So I put something out there like, tell me about nicknames that you've had. And you all wrote some, some great stuff. And, uh, but some, a couple of my friends from like middle school and high school wrote and they said, yeah, I got this nickname that you gave me. I hated it. I have always hated it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> and I was like, just feeling so bad about that. Because these were people that I actually liked. You know, in a weird way, it was a middle school boy, like, you know, term of endearment. But I just started beating myself up over that. This is like a small thing, right? But I'm like, man. And, and you know how we all do that with things much more serious than that. We start letting these past sins and mistakes in our life to de- begin to define us now. We live in the past, or we just get comfortable. You know, like, oh, this is who I've been. You know, I don't really, I don't know if I should aspire to more. I mean, we kind of get that good enough mentality. We play that comparison game, right? Like, well, at least I'm better than, you know, all these people. That guy. And that is, that's a tool of Satan to think that way. So check out in Scripture, in Philippians chapter 3, the letter to the Philippians, this is one of the places where Paul is kind of making his argument against that kind of have to become a Jew first to become a Christian prerequisite kind of thing. And he's arguing for a future-oriented thinking and not a past-oriented thinking. He says this. He's talking about these people who are saying, you know, they're talking about their credentials as Jewish people. And he says, you know, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he lists off basically kind of his Hebrew Jewish resume. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, check. Of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like, in a room full of Jewish people, I'm the most Jewish guy, right? In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. We keep the law better than anybody. As for zeal, you want to talk about just zeal and how, how hard I was going at it? Well, I was persecuting the church. What were you all doing? As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing, the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. When we were translating this word in this class recently, the best word we could come up with was crap. It's just like it's both garbage and it's nasty. It's like I, I consider them, I consider it junk, nasty garbage trash relative to the fact that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, and to know the power of his resurrection. That sounds like something we want to know. We want, we want 
resurrection power in our lives. So Paul's basically saying, I have this, I've got a better resume than any of y'all, and I consider it worthless relative to what I have discovered in Jesus. It, it, is, it is negligible. It doesn't matter anymore. What matters now is this thing that's going on in Jesus. So Paul doesn't wallow in his past sins, although they were great. Paul doesn't hang his hat on his past accomplishments, although they were great. He doesn't settle and have this sense of like, well, good enough, you know. He was always talking about and writing about pressing on. Paul used a lot of uh, athlete imagery that, was, that people would have understood from like the Olympic Games and stuff at the time. He's, he's talking about persevering, striving toward the goal, going further. This, this thing about being trapped in the past, it's really powerful in a negative way in our lives. Even now, I've been in ministry 13, 14 years, something like that. I've done a lot of stuff, started things, led things, you know. Um, I still, I go back home sometimes and I'm around certain people and I can just tell they, they only ever are going to see me as who I used to be. They're only ever going to let me be who I once was and they can't just going to keep me in that box. And I know many of you know what I'm talking about, right? You ever feel like you're growing, you're changing, you're maturing, you're making some, some positive steps in your life, and you've got people in your life who just won't see it. They only are going to see you as who you were, and usually the worst part of who you were. They want to drag you back down. Forget you and me. This happened to Jesus himself. Okay, there's this amazing story about Mark chapter 6. One time Jesus, he's traveling around, he's teaching, he's doing all these miracles. And he goes back to his hometown. And listen to this. He says, Jesus left there, went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him, they were amazed, right? Where did this man get these things, they asked. What, what is this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? And then some of them, though, they're saying, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's kid, James and Joseph's brother, Judas's brother and Simon's brother? Aren't, doesn't, don't we know his sisters? And so then, it's, then it says they took offense at him. How quickly they went from looking at these amazing things that are being accomplished, and now they're offended. And they're like, you know, the, he can't, something's not right here. We know who that guy is. We know his family. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. And listen to this. This is amazing. Jesus, he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. His power was somehow limited. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. This story amazes me because Jesus actually had his real ID on him. He's the son of God. He's doing miracles. But they insisted that it was fake. And, his, and the lesson is just move on. Move on. You got to grow and go with God. You cannot let that limit you for long. And so... You know, I just want to say, uh, I, I say this to a lot of people that are kind of hung up on their past. Like one of the things I love about Jesus, one of the reasons he's my Lord and my Savior, is yes, the past matters. We have to learn from our past, okay? Um, we need to dig into family of origin stuff. We need to 
get some good counseling. A lot of us need to do more work in that area. The past matters. We need to learn from it. But with Jesus, today and tomorrow are always more important than yesterday. The, the present and the future are what matter the most. It is, it is about the trajectory that you are on more than where you've been and what you've done and haven't done. And the same, the same is true for Paul and Saul. He, you know, he said, Saul is kind of the name that represents his past. That's not all bad. But Paul is the name that represents his future, represents where he's headed. Second thing I, I would say today is your fake ID is who they say you are, who, so, who someone else, even yourself, says that you are. But your real ID is who God says you are. That is, and remember, ID stands for identity. I asked uh, my cousin Matt for his most ridiculous fake ID story, and he said one time a girl from India, of Indian descent, she's, she tried to use an ID from, of a girl from Korea, and they look nothing alike. And he said, uh, look, just because you're both from the continent of Asia doesn't mean that you look anything alike. Okay, so he took her, took her ID. Um, and he says, you know, I asked him about how, does he, how could he pick them out, you know, when it's not that obvious. Like, how do you spot a fake ID? And he was like, you know, after you've seen thousands of them, like, you can just tell. Like, you just, they just kind of stand out. And it just made me think about if, if Matt can just detect fake IDs in that way, like, how much less are we able to fool God with the fake IDs that we hand him in our life? You know, what do they say? You can fool some of the people all the time. You can fool all the people some of the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time, right? Well, even if you can, even if you're right now in your life, you're kind of like, I'm fooling all the people all the time. You can't fool God. You can't fool the one who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb. And so far, far too often, I think we just have these, we, we live life under these fake IDs by letting other people tell us who we are. Sometimes they tell us that we're trash, we're no good. One of my friends wrote a sad, sad story to me on, in response to that Facebook post just about this nickname her dad gave her growing up that continues to cause issues in her life. It's really damaged her. Sometimes people tell us all kinds of great stuff, but they just kind of play on our pride. It's called flattery. Proverbs 26, 28 says, a flattering mouth works ruin. Contrast both of those to the things that Paul says and, and that the Bible says about how only God has the right to tell us who we are because he made us. These are just a few of many, many things we read in the, in the words of Paul. Uh, if we are in Christ, then this is true of us. There's no condemnation for us. We can, we can never be separated from God's love. Our labor is not in vain. We, we are a new creation. We are God's children. We have the forgiveness of sins. We've been given the incomparable riches of God's grace. We, were, we who were once far away have been brought near. We may approach God with freedom and confidence. We are light in the world. We'll become fully mature. We, all, all, hit, uh, all hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are for us. We're rooted and built up. We will rise from the dead. We can give thanks in all circumstances. We have faith, hope, and love we have the promise of life. If we are in Christ, if you follow Jesus, that's who you are. That's great news. So why do we go about using fake IDs in our life from these other sources? Maybe 
Maybe you're using a fake ID right now that used to be true of you, but it's expired. It's no good. Get rid of it. Maybe you're using a counterfeit ID that's just not even true at all. It's fake. You've made it up. Someone else has made it up. Get rid of it. And lean into your true identity. You know, I asked my cousin, he said, I never give... I never give them back. People ask for them back. I don't give them back. And I tell them basically, you know, like there's 40 plus people that work here. You go in there, get drunk, do something stupid. You risk, I risk all their jobs, not, not to mention what you're going to do out on the street, who you're going to injure to yourself or other people, you know, I, and then you go down the street to the, I give it back to you. You go down to another place. We're all one big community. We're looking out for each other. I can't give it back to you. But here's, this is a crazy thought I had this week. If you do that same thing to God, you know, you kind of uncover a fake ID in your life and, and you know, it gets taken away from you in a church service or you're like, you know, that's not true. If you go to God and ask for it back, he will actually give it back to you. He will let you have it back. He gives us that much freedom. We get to choose. We get to choose how we define ourselves and who we let define us and tell us what our primary identity is. So what are you choosing? Is it based on a sports team? You know, is that the main thing about who you are? I promise you, I'm cheering hard for the Falcons, but if they lose 10 minutes later, I'll be fine. You know, is it about your intellect, which could be taken away from you? Is it about your personality, your ego? Is it, is it about politics? Is that the main thing about you that you want everybody to know? Is it your race? I'm so thankful for the conversations we're having around here about that and the, the attention we're paying to ethnicity and race, but it is not the primary thing about any of us. What about your sexuality, sexual preference, orientation? Is that the primary way that you're going to define yourself? And trust me, identity is at the core of that issue. God says, if you want to go on defining yourself by some other thing, by some secondary thing, I'll let you do that, even though it breaks my heart. But, but there's a scripture in Romans. Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. He says, so what should we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may abound? What he's saying is, so wait, if we sin more, we get more forgiveness and grace. So isn't that good? Let's just sin a lot so we get forgiveness a lot. And he says, by no means, which is a kind of a wimpy translation. At our campus ministry down in Georgia Tech um, we used to read this at every baptism, and everybody would yell, and I'm going to kind of uh, censor this a little bit. We would read that, but what, what shall we say then? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And everybody yells, heck no! And then it goes on. It says, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you all know? That all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life, be free from sin. Should we go on sinning, including maybe especially the sin of letting others tell us who we are? No. Heck no. So keeping Saul kind of as his primary identity would have made a lot of people happy, caused him a lot less trouble in his life. But Paul was the name that fit best with the clear calling on his life, which was to carry the word of God's love to the Gentiles, to the nations, to everyone who's not a Jew, to all people. And then just thirdly, 
fake ID is about personal preference, and your real ID is about the mission. You know, I don't think I could do what my cousin Matt does. One, I'm not big or scary or intimidating enough. Two, I can barely stay up past like 9 p.m. anymore. <laughs> They'd be like, the bouncer's asleep. Everybody gets in. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the main reason. Because every kid that came to me with a fake ID, I would want to take him aside and talk to him and have a conversation like, why? Why are you trying to do this? Who are you trying to impress? Don't you know that there are a thousand other ways to have a great time that don't require you to sell out your integrity, to lie, to break the law? Come on, man. Just be patient. What are you doing? This is not worth it. This is, at, at best, you're going to get in there and just be disappointed. It's not all that it lived up to be. At worst, you're doing something really foolish and really dangerous. So I'd be over there having this talk, and the line would be 65 people long, and I'd get fired. When we get real about identity, about who we are, the next part of the conversation is, okay, what does that mean for how we live, what we do, right? Identity informs and shapes behavior. This is the, the so what turn that we need to make, and the answer is mission. What's the mission? It's the mission of God, the mission of God that caused him to create us in the first place, to give us that free will, to then set us on the path to just redeem us and reclaim us, the mission that necessitated the sending of Jesus, which then caused the conversion of Paul, which catalyzed the spread of the gospel and the church throughout the world, which was passed down one way or another all the way to here, to you and me today. It's the same mission that we have at this church and every other Christ-centered church. So is it Saul or Paul? Well, he was always both. But ultimately, we know him as Paul more than Saul because of this. The mission and the calling on his life defined him more than his past and much more than his personal preferences. So if you walk out of here with nothing else today, I hope you will let the story of Paul challenge every, all of us to examine our lives and look at the places where our personal preferences are butting up against, are competing with the will and the way of God in our lives. How we treat people, how we spend our time, how we invest our money, how we vote, how we think about the church, in our family lives, in our working lives, on our social media pages, whatever. Acts chapter 20. We're getting toward the end of, Acts has 28 chapters, and we're getting toward the end of the story. And there's this amazing emotional farewell that Paul has with his friends at Ephesus, where he's served together, and he says, it says, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of y'all among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This is an intense goodbye, but he's like, I got to go. I'm compelled. And then in Acts 21, there's all these well-meaning people. They love Paul. They're saying, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't do it. Bad things wait. You're going to get thrown in prison at best. You're gonna, you might get killed. It says, through the Spirit, they urge Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And it says, uh, there's this amazing story. Acts 21. After we, this is Luke writing. He says, after we've been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And the prophets of Israel had this tradition of doing dramatic things like object lessons to, to tell stories and to warn the people, right? And he says, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt 
He tied his own hands and feet with it. He like hogtied himself. And, and he says, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles, to the authorities. When we heard this, and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem, Paul answered, why are y'all weeping and breaking my heart? He says, I'm not only ready to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem for the name of my Lord Jesus. Now give me back my belt and get out of my way. And then it says this, when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. And Paul, guess what he did? He went to Jerusalem. And the rest of the book of Acts is like this comedy of hardships for Paul. He gets arrested over and over, imprisoned. He like, goes on trial more times than I could count. He, he's so many trials. He gets abused. There's plots to kill him. He's in a shipwreck. And yet he is undaunted. And he writes from, Philippian, from, from, a, from a prison to the, to the Philippians. He says, you know what? For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. I'm good either way. So while I am here, and these are the last words of the book of Acts. It says, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And if they put that on my tombstone, I'll be good. We celebrate and we thank God for this guy, Paul, because he showed us how to reject fake IDs and to be faithful for, to his true identity. He, he, opened, he often opened his letters. He would just say, Paul, an apostle, which means a messenger, an envoy, a representative of the good news of Jesus Christ to all people. And so I just got to ask, what about us? What about you? What if we lived like that? With that kind of passion and dedication, commitment and persistence and faithfulness. A lot of that already is happening around here, and it's so amazing to see, but there could be so much more. Imagine what God would do among us and in our community and in this world. What if we lived in a way that put first our role as messengers of the good news and the love of God, and we let everything else fall in line behind that? If you're still operating under some kind of fake ID today, I want to just tell you, turn it in. Come up, uh, we're going to have, we'll always have people after the service waiting to pray with you. They're probably, I don't know who's on the team tonight, but they're probably not as scary as bouncers. They'll be, they'll be great. Uh, do an art project. Go home and make your fake ID out of construction paper and then shred it. Burn it. Write that false identity on there and, and burn it like a sacrifice on the altar. Maybe you need to be baptized and be buried and rise again, die to sin, and rise alive with Christ. Get into this, the word of God. Get into this community. Maybe you need to do what Paul did. Maybe you need to take a big risk, change your whole life trajectory, write or teach, encourage, empower, go on a missionary journey like some folks right now are on over in Southeast Asia in a closed country where it's dangerous to be a Christian. Plant a church. Take a step further into your true identity and do it like Paul with some audacity, some determination, and some courage and some passion.
May the story of Paul light a fire in you and in me, not to be some other person that we think we're supposed to be, but to actually become more of who you are and who I am and who we were created to be by our wise and our loving God. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul, and thank you for every other person in the story of your people and in our own lives who have shown us by their commitment to you and your mission what it means to live into our true identity. Help us not to live in the past, but to lean into the future of who we're becoming in you. And help us to allow you and you alone, God, to tell us who we are. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.